Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. Its mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to episode 140 of the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. My name is Tim Robertson, the host of the Observer's Notebook, and also the coordinator of the training program within the ALPO. Thanks for downloading and listening. The ALPO collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomenon and publishes detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication, The Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers, also known as The Strolling Astronomer. This podcast depends upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it alive. If you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, you can donate to it via Patreon. Even more generous, for $5, you receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook. And for $35 a month, you receive producer credits on the podcast. You can help us out by going to www.patreon.com slash Observer's Notebook. If you'd like to join the OPPO, membership begins at only $18 a year. Find out more at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And we're also on Facebook. Just search for ALPO Astronomy. And the podcast also has a Facebook page as well. Just search for Observer's Notebook. If you enjoy what you hear in the podcast, please subscribe. That way you'll never miss another episode. And now, episode 140 with Bob Lunsford. And you know what that means? Meteors. Enjoy. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to this edition of the Observer's Notebook podcast. Again, we have uh, on the podcast, we're talking meteor showers, so that would just mean one person, Bob Lunsford. Welcome to the podcast, Bob. Thank you very much. It's been a long three months. Uh, our yearly drought during the, the winter season, where the northern hemisphere is uh, devoid of much meteor activity. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So uh, between the quadrantids in early January and the Lairds in mid-April. There's not a whole lot going on this side of the world. Uh, I should say down in the southern hemisphere, though, they have a few little outbursts here and there, but none of them compare to what we get to see up here. So. Oh, okay. So if you want to watch meteors, be north of the equator. If you want to see bright stars and and good Milky Way overhead, go go south of the equator. <laughs> well, <laughs> we're not, both. We're not here both. to talk about fate fuzzies. We're here to talk about shooting stars and Definitely. meteors and bullets and nova and not nova. Fuzzies. You betcha. All right. Well, our first opportunity is the April Lyrids, which will peak on the night of April 21st, 22nd. Um, this is one of the lesser uh, strong annual showers. Uh, it has produced outbursts in the past, but they are few and far between, uh, averaging about 60 years. The last one was in 1983, I believe. Yeah. And there's another one predicted in, I believe, uh, 
43, if I'm not mistaken, right around that uh, that year. So okay. uh, what we can expect this year is just a handful of meteors from Lyra per hour, mainly due to the uh, moon's phase, which would be one day before last quarter. So we're talking about 60% illuminated, rises between 1 and 2 in the morning that time. So uh, as the radiant, which is actually located in eastern Hercules and not Lyra, but since Vega is only 10 degrees away, I guess that was a better name for it. Okay. Um, like I said, um, while the radiant is getting highest in the sky, the moon will be doing its thing by obscuring all the, the fainter meteors. Mm. So uh, you have two choices this year. You can uh, watch while the radiant's fairly low uh, prior to 1 a.m. without moonlight, okay. or you can wait till the moon is higher in the sky. And, uh, and while the radiant is almost overhead, uh, to be honest, the rates are probably going to be about the same either way. Okay. Um, and what, so, what is that? Well, if you see five an hour, you'll be doing good. Okay. Um, when the radiance only halfway up, you're only seeing a small fraction of the available meteor activity. Right. So, you know, early, early is nice. Uh, the radiance low, no moon, you know, look toward the east. You can get to bed or <laughs> on time. It's uh, was the April twenty first, twenty second, so Thursday night, Friday morning. Of course, it's a work work day. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if you're a diehard, you can uh, face away from the moon and then look high in the northern sky and uh, see what you can see then. Which I bet won't be m- much more than five an hour. Okay. Uh, the Lairds do produce an occasional fireball. Uh, I've seen a few myself, but uh, with such low rates, um, geez, it's it's not it's difficult to call a, a fireball shower. Okay. So last year we had uh, the moon set uh, about three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was a waxing gibbous, so we had two hours of uh, of uh, dark skies last year, and I was out in the middle of the the uh, desert near near the shores of the Salton Sea, watching them. Oh, okay. And uh, it was it was good, uh, mm. maybe maybe five to ten an hour at best, but um, nothing compared to the the Perseids and the uh, the Geminids. Yeah. So, but it's 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 enough to whet your appetite after what we've endured for the last three three months. Yeah. Now this this meteor shower is also associated with a comet, right? Comet Thatcher which was discovered in 1861. Okay. And in, uh, in the year 1922, which is 61 years later, there was an outburst of the Lyras when they reached 60 an hour. Oh, wow. So, and another 61 years add, added to 1922 is 1983. Mm-hmm. And we had, uh, we had an outburst. And it was, again, about uh, one per minute, 60 an hour. And unfortunately, it only lasted a few hours, and it peaked over uh, the east, eastern United States. And I remember driving out uh, toward my dark sky site at about 11 o'clock, 
And I was seeing quite a few meteors shooting, you know, across the freeway there. Wow. What's going on here? While you're driving, huh? (laughs) While I'm driving. Wow. I'm driving east. I can see these, these uh, meteors. So I, you know, I get to my site. I jump in my nice warm uh, sleeping bag and I don't see hardly a thing. Uh, <laughs> and, and I find out that uh, just the, the three hours previously over the Atlantic and the eastern seaboard, they reached 60 to, to 80 an hour. So I uh, just missed that one. So what caused that outburst? You said it, it so it repeated 60 some odd years later. You know right? what? They believe that uh, it, it's their influence from Jupiter. They're when Jupiter approaches a comet, he creates a clump, mm-hmm. and uh, I guess it uh, it must be directly opposite the comet. And uh, this is a very long period comet, right? We're talking. I mean, oh, geez, I believe it's four hundred and fifty years. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's, it's, uh, that's so, that's what surprises me that it would have a an outburst in such a short period. Because usually, I would I would imagine the out, most outbursts come when the comet's closer to the Earth and Sun, right? We, you know, we have also uh, out, outbursts of the Ursids when the comet's at Apogee, uh, or I should say Apogee. Um, so there's there's still some mysteries why this happens, but we leave, believe that Jupiter has something to do it, okay. where it pushes the uh, the particles inward, uh, you know, closer to the Earth's orbit. Um, we know this. We know this for a fact for the Perseids, and we're gonna, we're expecting a really, really strong Perseid shower in 2028. Oh, wow. uh, due to this fact, so um, I don't know if I'll be around in uh, in 2040. But uh, you know, <laughs> if I behave myself, maybe I can catch the yeah. second outburst. Well, there. if I'm still doing a podcast by then, then we'll we'll get together again and chat about it. <laughs> I'll mark it on my calendar. Oh, you do that. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, while you're observing the Lyrids, and if you happen to be looking east, you may notice some meteors shooting up from the eastern horizon. And chances are those are members of the Ada Aquarius shower, which begin right about the same time the Lyrids do, but they don't peak until the first week of May. Now, these Ada Aquarius just happen to be members of uh, particles released from Halley's Comet. Oh. And the uh, Eta Aquarius are the outbound particles uh, of, of Halley's Comet. Now, we have we also uh, encounter the inbound particles of Halley's Comet in October, known as the Orionids. And... They circle around the sun, and when we meet them again, it, it's it's early May. So, and the two streams are very similar. They have a they instead of a sharp maximum like the Lyrids have, they have a long, drawn out plateau like uh, maximum, which will be centered on May six this year. So, for about a week centered on May six, uh, the uh, the rates for the uh, eight aquariums will be pretty much the same, which is about five to ten per hour, okay. as seen from our our, our latitudes. And uh, these these meteors will be uh, intersecting the Earth at almost a head-on direction, which means they're very fast. And almost all the brighter ones will uh, will present uh, persistent trains, which which are like smoky trails after the meteors have disappeared. Hmm. Now, unlike the Lyrids, 
the moon is perfectly situated uh, for the eight Aquarius this year. Oh, great. Um, we have a last quarter moon uh, two days after the Lyrids, which will be on uh, April 24th. So you can actually start watching then because the, the moonlight at last quarter is much less than it is at full. Um, but the, the circumstances improve with each passing morning. And I would say by May 3rd, uh, rates will, uh, if you're observing from a dark sky site, rates will may be able to reach 10 an hour. Oh. Uh, now, there is a small problem with the uh, eight Aquarius. The radiance only located 45 degrees from the sun. Oh. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's right right before sunrise, too. You got to be. That, that is correct. Uh, it, it's due, due east, I'm sorry, due west of the sun that time of year by about uh, 45 degrees or, or three hours in right ascension. So these meteors are not visible prior to roughly 2, 2 a.m. Uh, okay. Uh, onward uh so at, at my my location here in san diego i start watching about 2:30. Okay. uh at that time the radiant is lying right on the horizon and from 2:30 to roughly five uh i get my best best views of them now i have seen as many as 30 an hour from the shower from from the san diego area wow. um now, is They're, that from San Diego or is that from out in your dark sky? That's out in my dark sky. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, actually, they're best seen from the southern tropics because the rating has a chance to rise higher in the sky because the uh, it's it's fall there instead of spring here. So that their night is longer than, than it is here. Yeah. So the radiant from uh, the southern tropics rises higher. So they get a, they get a higher rate uh, of, of activity. So from down there, probably see 20 an hour at best this year uh, versus 10. And like I said, if, uh, if it happens to be cloudy, right on the, the the date of maximum may 6 uh don't don't hesitate to observe on a clear night after after that because the uh the eight aquariums will will be good yeah they hang around a while they do hang around a while for sure like i said for a solid week centered on may 6 and the moon will cooperate it doesn't reach first quarter until about the 10th perfect so and by by that time the the rates will start lowering and you'll probably be too tired to watch anyway. <laughs> <laughs> now, next year is going to be an exciting year for the eight Aquarius because we're expecting outbursts in both 2023 and 2024. And what we mean is um, every 12 years ago, again, we expect Jupiter to uh, interact with the, with the, with the, the particles that passes near so we'll have a bunch of particles that are going to be pushed closer to the earth in both 2023 and 24 which means the peak rates could be more like Perseus 60 70 oh an hour goodness. yeah so that certainly sounds exciting so what that means for me I'll probably get back up to 30 an hour <laughs> but those those down in the southern hemisphere we'll may, uh, maybe maybe much better now this happened to the uh orionids uh, back in 2007 and 2008 and we didn't know it was going to happen then 
But I remember I was out uh, near Fort Irwin in the middle of the desert that particular October, you know, expecting to see the normal 20 rhinos an hour. And by golly, I was getting 70 and 80. And it was very, very impressive. Yes. When you see a meteor shower like that, it's a, it, it, it takes you back. It really does. It just. No doubt. No doubt. Cool. So we have two possibilities there. And also in May, we have the possibility that the Earth may encounter uh, some debris from a minor planet and two comets. Oh. And let's start with the first one, which occurs on the night of May 15th. Now, the object we're talking about is minor planet 2006 GY2. Now, this happens to be a binary minor planet, which means it has a little moon orbiting. Hmm. Uh, they had a real close encounter with the Earth back in 2006 when it passed only six lunar diameters uh, away from it. Um, I'm not certain of the exact circumstances, but they they seem to think that the debris field is going to be quite thick for this particular um, or uh, swarm, I should say. And the timing, believe it or not, is good for North America. Yeah. It's going to be 10 hours, 20 minutes on the morning of May 15. And... Uh, to figure that out uh, for Pacific Daylight Time, that sounds like 320. Okay. Now, um, the radiant will be in Hercules, three degrees east of the, of the fairly dim star known as Ta Hercules. Now, <laughs> we're going to be talking about the Ta Hercules later on in this podcast because that's the name of, of the third uh, outburst I'm, I'm considering. That's this is just a coincidence. <laughs> okay. Um, different object. Different object completely. Okay. Uh, the the one uh, bit of bad news I have about this is that on May sixteenth, uh, we will experience a total eclipse of the moon, mm-hmm. which means on the fifteenth the moon will be ninety nine percent illuminated. Ah. Uh, <laughs> Can you believe it? If this was to happen exactly 24 hours later, it would happen during the eclipse of the moon. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so close. So yeah, close. And, and those types of events, too, a lot of times we'll witness, you know, meteors possibly impacting the moon during eclipses, too. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And for it to happen during a shower like this, that would be amazing. That would be amazing, but we miss it by 24 hours. Uh. So um, next time, plan it better, will you? Yeah, I'll have <laughs> to do that. <laughs> but uh, I can't guarantee that anything's going to happen, especially with the full moon. But if mm-hmm. it happens to be clear at uh, 3.20 Pacific Daylight Time. Now, I imagine by the time you reach, uh, let's say, the Mississippi River eastward, we're going to be talking about morning twilight. Mm. So probably east of the Mississippi River, you're going to not be able to see this due to morning twilight. Okay. But but those in the mountain time zone should have no trouble. Still should be dark at that time. 
So, um, like I said, if it's clear May 15th, give it a shot. You never know what you see. Sounds good. Now, the next one I even have less faith in because I tried for this display in 2014. And uh, I was driving to the local astronomical site in the mountains. And we got just totally clouded out by the marine layer, which you well know. Mm -hmm. And being at 4,000 feet, I was kind of shocked. I didn't, I didn't think it could reach that far. Believe me, it did. So I ended up going all the way down to the desert. Uh, and it was just as windy as can be down there. Yeah. But I did find clear skies. I sat in my truck for two hours in the back of the truck <laughs> and saw one meteor from this display. Uh. <laughs> uh, so... The uh, circumstances for, for this particular uh, encounter, which is happens to be with uh, Comet 209P Linear. I don't know if you remember that. Mm-hmm. Everybody called it the Cam- uh of, of May of 2014. Well, that got a lot of press, <laughs> and uh, I didn't see a whole lot. Okay. <laughs> so I was, I was not impressed. But this year, we have uh, slightly worse circumstances around 8 universal time on May 15. So that would be uh, 1 o'clock in the morning on the 15th of May. And looking at my trusty calendar, that will be a Wednesday morning. Okay. So um, the one, actually the one meteor I did see was pretty spectacular because it was really slow. Uh, orange colored, you could see it fragment. Mm. And uh, lasted about three seconds. Oh my goodness! Well, so and it, that was that, worth it. Well, that was early in the session too, so it got me kind of excited. Yeah. So uh, these aren't our, these last two are not meteor showers though, right? They're just outbursts from something else. So. They're they're possible outbursts from the encounter with uh, debris from from these objects. Okay. The, pro- the problem is we can time it. We know where the radiant is but we don't know the density of these particles in space. Yeah. So if, if they're scattered, we're not going to see anything. If, if the particles are dense, you know, uh, we, we could, we could see some activity. Okay. And they don't but happen every year. Like most meteor showers. Most definitely. Yes. Most definitely. So that leads us to our last entry for this session. Had the most interesting. Now, back in 1930, there was a comet discovered uh, by Swassman and Walkman. I, I didn't catch their first names, <laughs> <laughs> but the comet is known as Swassman and Walkman Three. Okay, uh, it was predicted to pass close enough to the Earth to per, uh, produce a meteor shower. So, in early June of that year. Uh, there were several organizations that tried to observe, and nobody saw anything except for one observer in Japan. And he happened to claim that he saw over 100 meteors uh, in, in one hour with the full moon and light cirrus clouds. My goodness. So everybody's scratching their head about this guy. <laughs> Because uh, to see uh, faint meteors, I, I don't know if I mentioned it, but 
he claimed most of the meteors were fifth magnitude. Well, okay, but yeah, then, that, that's that's icing on the cake. Yeah, well, so with the clouds, <laughs> with the cirrus clouds and the full moon. No, okay. So everybody's taking that uh, observation session with a grain of salt. Okay, which basically means no one has ever seen much from the shower at all. <laughs> okay, but in nineteen. 95, uh, the Hubble Space Telescope captured this comet breaking into several pieces and created a, a large debris field. And they got the, I don't know if you call it, but there was spectacular pictures of all these little mini comets following mm -hmm. the main one and just all this dust all, all over. So it was, that was very interesting. Um, I managed this to uh, capture a few video uh, members of the shower in our uh, things believe is around 2006 hmm. uh, nothing spectacular just a couple of night but it was cool just just to know that they came from this display now there have been research on the 1995 uh, debris um, breakup of this comet and some researchers think that, yes, we're going to pass close enough to see some meteor activity from this. And some say no. Hmm. Now, the reason it could go either way is we don't know exactly how that dust spread out um, from the comet. Now, now most of it. Uh, logically would seem to fall behind the comet and, and form the comet trails. Right. So in order for this to, uh, to occur, we need uh, a, a great amount of debris to actually pass forward of the comet. So to reach the earth before the, the, uh, the main nucleus. So that's, that's one bugaboo against this happening uh, you have to have the uh, the particles in front the uh, the second problem is most uh, most debris from comets are measured in micrograms and uh, in order for this shower to be seen we need particles to be at least a gram or larger um, and the reason I say this is because this this comet is basically uh, encountering the Earth from behind. So any meteors that we see are going to be slow. Mm. So if you take a one gram particle from this comet, it's predicted to produce a, a meteor of second magnitude. So if that same size particle were... Uh, coming from the Geminid, which, which is a meteor velocity shower, this particular uh, one gram particle would produce a meteor of minus one magnitude. Wow. Take the same particle from a Leonid uh, shower at 72 uh, kilometers a second, that same meteor would be minus four. So we're talking the difference of six magnitudes. Wow. Just, just due to the velocity. Huh. So. Um, That's crazy. That's a lot to ask for, isn't it? That is a lot to ask for. <laughs> I see <laughs> why you're why... excited about that, too, because there's potential there. Uh, well, yeah, you know what? It could be one one heck of a meteor shower that's too faint to be visible yeah. <laughs> uh, to our eyes. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, radar might go crazy, yeah. but those meteors are all magnitude seven and fainter. Yeah. So um, I'm not overly excited about this. Uh, okay. I'm certainly going to be outside right. because I'm uh, Southern California, Arizona, Nevada are the prime spots to see this particular uh, display mm -hmm. because it occur, occur, expected to occur at 10 o'clock in the evening oh. on, on May 30th. Okay. So. Where in the sky? Where in the sky? Well, these, these meteors were originally called the tall Hercules. I noticed people are getting away from that because the uh, most recent uh, studies indicate that the actual radiant is going to be in Bootes, about five degrees northwest of Arcturus. Okay. So we're talking about uh, quite a ways from Hercules further west. So I notice uh, people are calling these the, the 73 Ps, <laughs> mm -hmm. which is short for 73 P Swassman Walkman, right. or calling them the Swassman Walkman 3s. So uh -huh. uh, I kind of like, like that because... Uh, I know the Draconids of October used to be called Jacobini Zinnards. That's right. Says, that that, that kind of sounds good off the tongue, you know? It does, yeah. <laughs> I always like saying Jacobini Zinner. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but like I said, whatever you call them, Ta Hercules, 73 Ps, or Swassman Walkman 3s, they're, they're not going to be coming from uh, Hercules. They're going to be coming from Bootes. Okay. So, 10 o'clock at night. So that makes it, that's, that's Pacific time too. That is Pacific time. Right. Got it. So let's see what day the, that's going to be a Monday evening and a Tuesday. So okay. no weekend observations this time around, but uh, this one might be worth it. If it's clear, definitely step okay. out. If you're really serious, go to the darkest uh, observing site you possibly can. Uh, because you may see a bunch of fifth and sixth magnitude meteors. Okay. Uh, they'll be very, very slow, just just above satellite speed. So, oh, uh, really? I'm talking about slow. The, these wow. things will probably be probably be visible for maybe two or three seconds, but only travel what five degrees, maybe. Okay. Now that that's for your average meteoroid. Of course, if you get a brighter one, it may travel longer and uh, be more visible. But uh, you know what? I'm I'm going to go to my dark sky site, and if I see one good one, I'll be happy. There you go. <laughs> but you can bet the the press is going to get a hold of this, and they're gonna they're gonna uh, make another Kohotek out of it. <laughs> no, 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 no. Please. Well, well, maybe it'll bring people to observe it though, and then you will get some reports for it. So. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. There's right. nothing wrong with that. There, uh, you know, even if you're out there for an hour or two and you see nothing, that that's fine. Uh, you you made it. You know, zeros zeros count uh, as a yep. as a session and uh, helps us understand what happened. Um. So, uh, what else can I say? <laughs> yeah, that's well. That, that's the key. What type of observations do you want submitted? Even if you go out. And observe during that time period and you see nothing, you know, record your seeing conditions, record the limited magnitude you can see from your observing site and send a report. I mean, that's it's that's a report. That's, that's science. Definitely. That's something we want to know. 
you know, if you saw nothing and you had fifth magnitude skies, you know, that, it's, that's important to know. So please get it out is. there and observe these meteor showers, even if the moon's going to interfere a little bit. But this sounds, a good, sounds like a good opportunity to really, you know, investigate these other three opportunities. Most definitely. Most definitely. And um, this, to have three of these occur in one month is pretty unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I, I know folks that are going to be coming from other parts of the world uh, to, to dark remote star, uh, sites in our desert. And, I, you know, I sure wish them well, and I hope their, their trip isn't in vain. Mm. But uh, I, I went to Spain for the 99 Leonids, but that was pretty much a, a sure bet. Really? Yeah. You, you went all the way to Spain for it? Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, that, that. You are dedicated, sir. well it it was worth it that was a very very good display well spain is also nice too (laughs) in november it was a little chilly but uh we were prepared and uh we we all sat on a mountainside and uh, saw a very good display Uh, uh this is a little different we have no idea uh, how strong this is going to be. We know the time it's going to happen, which is right around 10 mm-hmm. uh, p.m. But um, you said that's know, on the 30th, right? That's on the uh, right. Yeah. It, it's five universal time on the 31st, which uh, is actually the, the 30th uh, for, for us here in the United States. Okay. Well. I'll stay so, up late. Th- I'll stay up that late and head out to a darker site, maybe where our observatory is locally, and go see what I can see. That might be worth it. Yeah. Now there is an article already in the latest Alpo Journal, okay. so you can read more on this uh, this p- particular possible display. And um, after this, uh, June is pretty much a dry month, and so is the first part of July. And second part of July, we finally enter the uh, the real meteor season in the northern hemisphere. Okay. So uh, we will save that for another podcast. That sounds like a plan. All right, Bob. Well, I'll put the contact information in the show notes as long as the additional information and the links to these various sites, too. And I'll be providing more details as we approach the date in my weekly uh, meteor activity outlooks. So be sure and look at those. Okay. And where are those available? Those are available on the AOPO website under the meteors section. Okay. And I'll put a link for that. So everybody those are, those are updated right every Friday. Oh. So uh, we'll soon, soon be discussing. Um, I will also be writing a uh, detailed article on the Ada Aquarius. So you can also look forward to that. Okay. So I hope people have good weather and good viewing and that their, uh, you know, efforts are not in vain. That would be nice. It would be nice to see a really nice meteor shower. It's been a long time, hasn't it? It has. It has. has. Well, Bob, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. And I look forward to doing it again. All right. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye.
Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Observer's Notebook Podcast. I again want to thank our meteor shower expert, Bob Lunsford, for coming on the podcast today. We upload new episodes of the Observer's Notebook on the 1st to 15th of every month. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please leave us a rating. I really appreciate it. You can also listen to us on Apple Radio, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, Amazon, Echo, Spotify, and this podcast is now available on the ALPO YouTube channel. Head over there and subscribe to that as well. You can help support the podcast by donating to it via Patreon. You can give up to $35 a month, where you receive one year's membership to the Alpo and producer credits on the podcast. And with that, I want to thank the producers of this podcast, Steve Seedentop and Michael Moyer, for their generous support of the Observer's Notebook. The link for Patreon, as well as the link for the Alpo, is in the show notes. If you'd like to contact me, my email address is cometman at cometman.net. Or you can get a hold of me on Twitter at, at @observersnbpod. Until next time, my hope is you always have clear and steady skies. Thanks for listening. Hello, Tim. Hello, Bob. <laughs> How are we doing today? Good, man. How are you? Good. Hey, it was great to see Elizabeth on Saturday, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Good to chat with her. Yeah. Got good memories of her and John back in the early days there. Yeah. Yep, yep. That was fun. It was yeah. Nice little chat. Nice to see you pop on, too. That was good. <laughs> hey, we got uh, the lyrics, and I'd like to discuss the other events of May coming up. Uh, we have the uh, eight Aquarius two weeks later. Okay. And we have three possibilities of the Earth intersecting debris from a minor planet and two comets. Oh, sounds like fun. <laughs> so uh, this this should be a halfway decent uh, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> hey, anytime you're on, they're good. Well, that's <laughs> You're, That's good to hear. So. You're a very good guest. <laughs> I try, man. <laughs> yeah. uh, All right. So anytime you're ready to fire it up. All right. Give me a minute.